the cry of his heart. This is the scripture in the Old Testament that is not telling us what happened to Jesus from the outside. It is telling us what happened to Jesus from the inside. What he was thinking and what he was going through on that cross. Amen. Psalm 22 verse uh, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries and anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one that Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lion that tears their prey, open their mouth wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a butchered, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains circled me. They pierced my hand and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel, he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will heed and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. May hearts 
and the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generation will told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. You can be seated. So today we continue our study in uh, Shadows of Golgotha, Pictures of the Cross in the Old Testament. And today is week number three in our study of Psalm 22. We say that this psalm pretty much highlights um, Christ and Him crucified in three different manners. The first one is Christ the forsaken one, if you still remember. And that was verse 1 to 5. And then we see Christ the suffering one, and that's verse 6 to 21. And then finally we see Christ the triumphant, the victorious one, and that's verses 21 to 31, or pretty much the last part of the, of the, of the psalm. Last week we start talking about um, Christ the suffering one. And um, if you remember, we, we say that there will be seven points that we highlight in the description of the suffering that Jesus has gone through on the cross. And that's pretty much the analysis of verses 6 to 21. And again, as we read that psalm, I want to remind us, you can see that this is a prayer of somebody who's pouring his heart out before the Lord. You can, you can sense that the agony and the pain that he's, he's going through. So I'm not trying to make it a systemic analysis or anything like that. I'm not taking that away. I'm just thinking these seven points can help us take a, a glimpse and even a deeper look in what Jesus has gone through on the cross. We said that Jesus in these verses talk about, talked about his overall condition. And he said, describing that in verse 6, I am a worm and not a man. And then in verse 14, he said, I am being poured out like water. We spoke about that last week. His overall condition on the cross. How Jesus was made a whole lot lower than even the criminals that were crucified next to him. And how he was poured out like water with absolute no resistance to those who are just been crucifying, mocking, punishing and torturing and shaming him. And he was so powerless in front of them, poured out like water. And then also in that psalm we see in verses between verses 6 to 21 a description of his surroundings. That's verse 6 and 7. We see that he was mocked by all those who were surrounding him, despised by everyone around him. And then in verse 12, 13, and 16 we see a description um, of those who are surround him. And, and the psalmist is using animals to describe how vicious the people that was around Jesus on the cross. He uses three different animals, bulls, lions, and dogs. And then number three, we see a description of his bones. In, in verse 14, we see he's saying, all my bones are out of joint. Verse 17, they can count or they can see all my bones. And then the fourth description is we see about his heart. When he says in verse 14, my heart has turned into wax. It has melted within me. 
The fifth description is about his mouth and how his tongue has stuck to the roof of his mouth because of the thirst and the dryness of his mouth. The sixth description is about his hand and his feet and how they have pierced his hands and his feet. And the last description is about his clothes, how they have divided his clothes among themselves and have cast lots on his garments. Amen? Again, last week we spoke about his condition. This week we're going to only speak about three more uh, descriptions. And then next week we'll wrap up uh, Christ the Suffering One. It's, it was a lot to just cover in one week. So we're just going to try to uh, speak about the three following things. His surrounding, his bones, and his heart. These are the three highlights that we're going to talk about from that psalm today. And next week we're going to close up with his hands, his clothes, and his mouth. Amen? So let's talk about his surrounding. Actually, turn with me back to verse 6 and 7. Let's just highlight a couple of things that Jesus was saying here in these two verses. In verse 6, let's see what Jesus says. He says, um, but I am a worm and not a man. And then he, he said, scorned by how many? Everyone. everyone. Do you see that? Scorned by everyone. Despised by the people. And verse 7, what is the very first word you see there? How many? All who see me mock me every single one yeah. so that the, the fact is the psalmist Jesus or David at that time led by the Holy Spirit describing what happened to Jesus on the cross and he's saying that he was mocked he was despised by not just few of the people that were surrounding him but everyone that was surrounding Jesus on the cross mocked him despised him and insulted him amen because his followers ran away remember everybody left him and ran away and and all that is left is just the people that did not like Jesus and they all insulted him, mocked him and despised him. Jesus himself prophesied about that even when he was still alive. He said in Luke 18.32 about himself that he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and they will do what? They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. So Jesus knew that when he's going to go to that cross, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be despised, he's going to be rejected and ashamed and insulted by every single one that is surrounding him. And we see that through the story of the crucifix. If you go through that story and read, you're going to see that literally that's what happened on the cross. Every single one around Jesus truly mocked him. It all started even before he was delivered to the Romans and when he was still being judged and condemned by the high priest. Now he's not even in the hands of the Romans yet. And we read in Mark 14, 63 to 55. I'm just going to pick up a couple of verses here. Um, um, and I think it's 53 to 55, I apologize. And then it says here, the high priest tore his clothes when Jesus was there. And he said, why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And then it says, they all, how many? They, how many? All condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and say, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Look at this. Some began to spit on him and they start mocking him because they think that he said that he's the king of the Jews. So they blindfold him, struck him with his fist and say prophesy. Who's the one who struck you? And the guards took him and beat him. Now in the Middle Eastern culture to spit on somebody this is the ultimate 
like shameful act that you can show someone. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, when, if you remember when, when Miriam, the sister of Moses, sinned because of the Cushian woman and she was struck with leprosy and Moses prayed and said, God, please heal her so she can come back into the, 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 inside the community and inside Israel. Guess what God told, told Moses? God said, if her, if her father would have spit on her, wouldn't she be ashamed for seven days? Therefore, she might stay out for seven days and then she come in. But this is the idea that if somebody spits on you, you feel so humiliated and so shameful that even in the Old Testament, God said she has to bear that shame for at least seven days. That's what's going to happen if her father would spit on her. Yet that's what happened to Jesus. On the, but when he was about to be crucified, he was despised, he was insulted, and he was put to so much shame when the people spit on him. They knew when they spit on him, they just shaming him. And he knew that he's being spit at. He's being, shamed, he's being put to shame. That's even in the high priest's house. He hasn't even been delivered yet to the hand of the Romans. Now he's delivered to the hand of the Romans. Mark 15, 17 to 20. Before that it says, And they put a purple robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on his head. And they began to call out on him, Hail, King of the Jews. Look at this. Again and again. So the Bible is trying to emphasize that they kept on insulting Christ. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Remember he has a crown of thorns on his head and when you get struck by a Roman soldier somebody who's used to war this is not like a mild strike you know this is a heavy strike and when they strike him on the head with that rod by a Roman soldier that the thorns get actually embedded in his brain in his head to almost half an inch probably and he will bleed out of that you're talking about pain but this is in the context of putting him to shame. They shamed him, they tortured him, and look what the Bible say, again and again. This wasn't just a one incident and then everybody felt bad for it. This was an attitude of putting people, putting Jesus down to shame. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Failing down at their knees, they bid homage to him. And when, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own cloth on him. And and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus was mocked, was insulted, was put to shame by everyone. Mark 15, 29 to, to 32. Now he's crucified. He's hanged on the cross. And look what happens to him when he's hanged on the cross. I mean, when you see people in pain, usually your first instinct is to try to show some sympathy and try to be you know like try to ease the pain as much as you can and try to be sympathetic with them and try to say hey you're gonna be all right or the doctor is coming and you try to like ease the pain as much as you can and you feel bad for that person but guess what that was not the case with Jesus amen Look at this, Mark 15, 29-32. Those who passed by hurled insults on him, shaking their heads and saying, So you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. And they said, he saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him, those who was crucified with him also heaped insults on him. 
the two criminals that was hanged with Jesus also not just insulted him. Look at the wording of the scripture. Heaped insults like they kept on making it more insulting after being more insulting and they raised the rhetoric one time after another. And we read the same thing in Matthew 27, 44. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also did what? Heaped insults on him. Now I want you to put this in context. These people are criminals, right? In other words, they're thugs, right? They're just make their living by robbing people off, by killing people. They don't care. They're just a bunch of thugs. So when they're insulting Jesus, think about this. They're not using, oh Jesus, you're silly. They're not using words like this of this manner. They're using probably the filthiest language that you can ever imagine. Language that you would grinch if somebody said that to you because it is so disgusting and it's so offending. But these people, whether the Roman soldiers or these criminals, they were not just using like you know, insulting, mockery, endearing language, they really were biling it up on Jesus with the filthiest language. You can imagine the nastiest word you can have heard of your life, and I can easily imagine that this was told to Jesus on the cross. He was mocked, he was insulted, he was despised, not just by the high priests and the people in, in, in high places, even criminals next to him despised Jesus and insulted him. They heaped insult after insult on Christ. Amen? This is crazy. But this is what Jesus went to the cross just for you and me. Let me just stop here and highlight a quick thing. In the book of Luke, we see that one of these two thieves actually told Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom, right? And Luke tells us that there was only one thief that was mocking Jesus and the other one was actually defending Jesus. So which one is it? Was it both of them mocking Jesus or was it just one of them that was mocking and the other one was defending? Which one is it? <laughs> Correct. So what happened, I believe what happened is this. When... Both of them in the beginning, they start by mocking Jesus. And if you start looking at the words that Jesus said on the cross, when he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing, the word that come after that is his word to the thief when he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Amen? I honestly believe that what happened is this. These two thieves, these two rebels, they both started mocking Jesus and heaping insults on him on the cross. But then when one of these two thieves heard Jesus, in spite of all the mocking and the insulting that is being forced against him and how much shame he's put, being put through. He heard Jesus praying and he's saying, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. That prayer touched that thief's heart and it melted his heart so much so that he repented of that and he turned around and he said, Jesus, I am sorry that I have insulted you. You truly love me so much and please remember me when you come in your kingdom. But the point is, Jesus was insulted by how many? Everyone that was around him on the cross. And the Bible used three animals to describe the people that were surrounding him. He says these are bulls, they are lions, and they are dogs. Now, it says they are the bulls of Bishan. Bishan is a very fertile area in, in, in the Palestine area or Israel of that time. And the bulls of Bishan had to be so strong. For once, it's a very fertile area, so there is a lot of food for the bulls to eat. And for two, in order for this land to be fertile, these bulls need to be working so hard to till that land. 
So these are strong bulls. Actually, there might be the strongest bull, very famous, the bulls of Bashan for their strength in that region. And that's the exact kind that Jesus used here, that David used to describe the Roman soldiers and the people that would surround him. They're so strong and they're so mighty and they keep on torturing and insulting him. But not only that, they're also like lions. I don't know about you, but if you've seen a lion eating into that prey, they don't usually have a lot of sympathy on that prey. Amen? They just go tear into it as much as they can. And that's in a way what Jesus was saying about the people surrounding him. They have no sympathy. They're just tearing into me, just like a lion that is hungry and trying to eat his prey. Amen? And also Jesus described them as dogs. Now, in our Western mindset, we might not understand that. We think dogs like, oh, these cute puppies that we have at home and these nice friendly dogs that we just uh, consider friends and family. But that's not the context when you're talking about the Middle East of that time. There was actually a lot of dogs that was stray in the street. They were not domesticated. They're just wild, vicious animals. And if you give you, I was thinking about that when I was printing these papers. I'll give you some examples from the Bible about these dogs and what they do. If you remember in the Old Testament, the King Jezebel, when she died, if you remember, the prophecy was that the dogs will come and do what? Lick her blood. Yeah. So this is the vicious, not domesticated, wild dogs that just prey on wounds and on blood. They're just nasty, vicious animals that is not domesticated. Even in the times of Jesus, Jesus himself tells us a story about the rich man and Lazarus, right? And he talks about Lazarus and he said Lazarus was a poor man at the gates of that rich man and he would just hope that he can fill his belly with the crumbs that falls off the rich man's table, but he wasn't doing even that and then Jesus described that poor man and he say that the dogs will come and do what and lick his sores so that's the kind of dogs we're talking about here we're not talking about domesticated friendly animals that you see at home and they're just so cute nothing like that we're talking about wild vicious animals that can tear into the human flesh with absolutely no mercy and that's the kind of people that were surrounded by Jesus on the cross. Everybody's insulting him. Everybody is heaping mocking and insults upon him. You imagine the filthiest of language, and I promise you, it probably was used on Jesus on the cross. And everyone is just merciless around him and keep on tearing in him. And he was left alone, and no one would be to support him. That is the condition of Jesus. On the cross. Amen? Amen? Now, I want you to bear with me here because I want you to, sh to see the contrast bet between who Jesus really is and what Jesus has become on the cross for you and me. Amen? Amen. Revelation 5.13. Now this is Jesus in a different picture. Look at this. This is John and look what he's saying. Then I heard how many? Every, every what? Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and all that is in the sea and all um, and on the sea and all that is in them. You try to get the point here? Nobody is excluded, right? Everything that breathes is included in that statement. Amen? And what do every creature does? They sing and they praise Jesus and they say to him who 
sits on the throne, that's the Father, and to who else? And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and forever. Amen? Now that's who Jesus really is before and after the cross. Amen? Every single creature give Him equal honor and equal worship just like they give the Father, right? Yeah. It doesn't say glory and honor be to the one who sits on the throne, right? It says glory and honor and power belongs to the one who sits on the throne and equally to the Lamb. That's the Lord Jesus, right? Imagine the fast difference between these two pictures. The one who's adorned by everything that has a breath now is being mocked by everyone who's around him. Being insulted by everyone who's around him. Amen? Why would he even accept to do that? Is that anybody in the right brain switch places like this? Well, Jesus did. You know why? Because he loves you. And when I say he loves you, I don't mean that as a Christian rhetoric on Sunday morning. I mean he loves you. He chose the cross for you. He chose to be insulted, to leave all that glory, to come down, to go to the cross, to be insulted by every single one that is around him because he loved you so much and he wanted to provide life for you. He was insulted by everyone who's around him. Can I ask you a question this morning? Can I ask you a favor? Would you please not insult him anymore? Would you please just surrender to his love? You think when you tell him, I, I think your love is not worth it, and I think that cross is not worth it for me, what do you think you're doing to him? You're insulting him. You're adding more insults with all the insults that he has taken for you on the cross. Today, when you say no to his love and his grace, you're insulting him even more. Amen? All his surrounding, but now let's look at all his bones. And the psalmist used two descriptions here to describe the bones of Christ. It says, all my bones are out of joint. Now, I want to tell you something about what happened to Jesus on the cross. When Jesus took that cross and he carried all the way to, Mount, to, to Calvary, the way they do the crucifix in that time is that, you probably have seen it in the movies, they lay the one who's to be crucified on the cross and they nail their hands and their feet to that wood cross and then they have a hole, they have a hole where they can lift the cross and put the cross with the one being crucified on it into that hole, right? And what happens is because the hands and the feet of the one who's crucified is fixed to a certain place and then that cross moves and that cross just go to the hole and all the way of the, the weight of the cross just shakes back and forth that literally the, the bones literally goes out of joint. So when Jesus said that my bones are out of joint, he's not talking figuratively about him going through some sort of pain on the cross. He's talking literally about what happened to him on the cross. His, his bones literally went out of joint on the cross when he was crucified. Amen? Yes. And he said, and I can count on my bones. The idea here is his bones are so 
his, his flesh is so disfigured, his, his muscles are so torn, that can, you can actually see through every single bone that he has, you can count all of them. This is as close of a description to death as it can ever be. And that's what Jesus said happened to him on the cross. He said, I can count all my bones because of all the torture and the beating that he took. Amen. But now let's look at the last part here for today, which is his heart. Jesus said in verse 14, my heart has turned into wax and it has melted within me. Talked with you guys about this before. What melts the wax? It is fire, right? It is fire that melts the wax. And I believe that in the light of, of Jesus experiencing the fire and the wrath of God because of your sin and my sin because of when the fire of the judgment of God fallen on Christ during that three dark hours, that is literally what happened to Jesus on the cross. His heart melted because of the fire and the wrath of God that has fallen on him. Amen? 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 Let me ask you a question. What is the number one torturing item that's going to be in hell? It is a fire, right? That is the, if there's no fire in hell, it won't be so bad, right? The one thing that makes hell so awful is that fire. And guess what? That very fire that you and I rightly deserve because we have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. This very fire Jesus has stuck in your behalf on the cross. Amen? The very judgment of God that will fall on you and me one day because of our sins. Well, it doesn't have to happen anymore because Jesus has taken it upon himself and he can be shield, your shield today from the wrath of God if you just can give him a chance. He went through the fire of the judgment and the wrath of God on the cross. We've seen this throughout the Old Testament that the sacrificial lamb, the substitute, has to go through fire. We started from Exodus 12 when we talked about the lamb of the Passover. And how is this lamb supposed to be eaten? It is roasted with the fire. We see the burned offering which is a type of the cross of Christ. And this burned offering from its very name, what happens to it? It is burned with the fire. We see that the sin offering which represents Jesus on the cross also has to be taken outside the camp because the camp is too holy for it and it is burned with fire. So fire is a constant theme that we read about in the Old Testament that the sacrificial lamb, the substitute, has to go through fire. And guess what? That's what happened to Jesus as our substitute on the cross. He endured the fire and the judgment and the wrath of God for you and for me. Let's look at these two last scriptures here. Lamentation. 1, 12 to 3. Now this is Jeremiah speaking, but it's, I believe it's a prophecy about the cross. And here is what Jeremiah is saying under the guidance of the Holy Spirit that is actually a prophecy about Christ and the cross. Look at this. This is Jesus crying to those around him on the cross. And he said, is this nothing to you? All this pain that I'm going through, is this nothing to you? All you who pass by? I believe this is the very thought of Jesus when everybody else was mocking him. Is this nothing to you, all you pass by? Behold and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his what? Fierce anger. From above he has sent what? Fire into my bones. And it overpowered them. It overpowered my bones. 
It overpowered my heart. His heart melted. He sent fire. God sent fire from heaven into his very own bosom. That's Jesus' bosom. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. And Jesus say, have you ever seen anything like this? Is this nothing to you? This strange, unique situation in the history of humanity that will never happen again. That the father will turn his face away from the son. And instead of even just leave him alone, he sent down from heaven his own fire, his own judgment over your sin and my sin. And it goes through the bones and the heart of Christ as our substitute. And his very own heart melts like wax. And his bone is being overwhelmed by the judgment and the wrath of God. Psalm 42, 7, another, another prophecy about Christ. And here is what Jesus is saying on the cross. Deep calling unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. It's kind of Jesus is saying the wrath of God is like wave after wave after wave. And each wave is calling upon the following wave to fall upon me. Wave deep calling unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and pillows have fallen over me. All the judgment and the wrath of God, every single bit of wrath that you and I deserve has fallen on, the, on Christ on the cross. Amen? So much so that his heart melted. Remember, this is Jesus, that every single creature sings his praise and his glory and his majesty, right? Yet on the cross... He chose to be mocked and insulted by criminals. The thugs of the, of the society of that time will mock him and insult him. And not only that, but his heart will melt within him. His joints will be loosened out of joint with all the pain that comes with that. As we talked last week, he's poured like water. He became less than a human. He became a worm and not a man. You understand that when we say Jesus loves you, we're not talking about some Christian rhetoric on Sunday morning. He truly loves you. He truly loves you. Nobody will do that for you, right? But Jesus did it for you. Because there is no other way. There is absolutely no other way for us to be made right with God except through the cross. And think about this. Jesus before the cross looked and he had two options. He had, to, he had an option to avoid the cross. He was not obligated to do that. He had the option to avoid the cross and lose you and me to eternal hell for, for all eternity. Or he had the option to choose the cross and spare you and me and give you and me the chance to be made right with God. Yeah. And guess what? The Bible says that because of the joy that was set before him. You know what joy we're talking about? You. You. And me. Can you believe it? We're nothing. We're the dust. God made us from dust. We're nothing. We're, we're from dust and we're going to dust. Yet Jesus thought that knowing you and having you to be part of his family is so much joy that even the cross, even all that shame and pain that he has gone through on the cross, every bit of the wrath of God that he endured on the cross, he thought that all of that it's still not worth it that he can give you a chance to come to know him. If this not going to make you give your heart to Christ, I promise you nothing will ever will. 
if this love is not gonna move you, nothing will. I just love that verse from that song, In Christ Alone. But actually, I wanna, I'm not gonna quote it. I'm just gonna read that verse again that we were just singing earlier, because um, it's just so powerful. Do you still have some of the songs? Um, let me just read that verse. It is just so powerful. That's from All I Have in Christ. I'm going to read that verse one more time. Amen. Verse 2. But as I ran my hill-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all that I know is grace. Amen? Why don't we close our eyes and pray? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 